Hi, I'm Elise Kennedy. Welcome to Jarden's Startup Tech Series, where we host entrepreneurs, venture funds, and technology companies on trends across the industry. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Daniel I, the CEO of cybersecurity software company, Arctis. Thanks for joining us today, Daniel. Thank you, Elise. Lovely to be here. So I always think you always do a much better job than I ever can of explaining your business, especially in the space that you operate. So I might hand it straight over to you, Daniel, to give a bit of background about Arctis. Oh, look, thank you. So Arctis stands for Architected Trusted Information Sharing. So what we do is look at how information is shared across the global supply chains in digital transformation, intelligence, defense, government agencies, and we secure that information so it can be collaborated on. And we do that in a way which is unique, which is policy enforcement, which is data-centric security. And we're starting to see that the burgeonings of this, it's a new technique of doing it, which addresses the constant cyber threats that we're all facing today. And so it's particularly important way of securing information and sharing that for people who have high value or sensitive information. And that's why Arctis's vision is to be trusted with the world's most sensitive information, which is what we're doing at the moment with clients such as the Australian Department of Defence, Intelligence Agencies, Attorney General's Department, etc. And I'm curious, when did this business start? And, you know, what were the origins of that problem that you were being solving at the time? Well, look, it actually started back in 2006. So we're a, a very old start but we have lots of depth of knowledge in our area of expertise, which is why we're world leading in what we do. And the real problem that we came to address came out of the events of 9-11, when the attacks happened in the US on the Pentagon, on the White House and on the Twin Towers. The US looked into, uh, commissioned a report into those events and found that there was a lack of trust between government agencies in Intel, border protection and law enforcement that prevented them from sharing that information and a lack of infrastructure to, to trust on. And and so we initially solved that problem for the Australian Department of Defence in 2006 uh, so that they could securely share information with the US Department of Defence for operations in Afghanistan and in Iraq. And we've been doing it ever since. So that's our genesis. The solutions we provided Defence have now been four generations of that. And we commercialised those to come out and solve a global problem with the uh, advent of digital transformation in econ global economy of how do we share and trust information for intellectual property, personal information, and now, of course, with the cyber threats and the pandemic and work from home activities that we're seeing, the markets really suddenly exploded for us and the opportunities in that marketplace have grown enormously. So is it more B2B or B2C as your key customer cohort? It's absolutely B2B. And the reason for that is that, you know, we, our model is about protecting corporate information and government information because there's large investments going in there at the moment. But what it really has been about is that workforce dynamic changing and the online, different applications that we all use now to collaborate. And of course, we've seen that the data market there, big data analytics, is an enormous marketplace of sharing of information and the value of information being looked at in different ways for different commercial opportunities has grown significantly too. It's a $124 billion market. Yeah, absolutely. It is massive, as you mentioned, the, the data that's out there and what we're able to do with it today. I guess that's a good segue into talking about monetization and what the revenue model is. So exactly is it big contracts? Are they annual? Are they SaaS model? Can you talk a bit more about that? Look, we uh, simplify this absolutely. It's an annual recurring revenue business. So it is a SaaS sort of model. What we have is a couple of different products that we've got which address this issue. And 
the story about how we monetize is interesting as well because it's quite diverse. The first way, uh, way that we do it is we have the product that we built for the Department of Defense, which is a fully integrated SaaS platform as a service, which is hosted on Australian sovereign cloud for Australian government to share information not only between themselves, and it's used for the Aged Care Royal Commission, the Australian Office of Information Commissioner, but it's also used by commercial entities which service governments and have a requirement for compliance certified information holdings. And that's the entire defence industry. Now, the defence industry has got a $270 billion capability uplift program happening by the Australian government over the next 10 years. $15 billion of that is directly being targeted in information and cyber security uplifts. So massive amounts of money are going into this and rebuilding Australian manufacturing industry. Now, if those small, medium enterprises wish to participate in that, they need to be compliant with the cybersecurity profiles and resilience put in by the Australian Department of Defence and our platform services that. It can also be used on-premise for intelligence agencies, which don't use cloud services. And so we sell it on-prem and as a cloud service. And our second product is Nuclear Cyber, which is a US company we acquired last year. And what it does is provide that same data-centric security policy enforcement, which really is about contextualizing who you are, what device you're coming in, what network are you coming across, and what can you therefore do with the information. So it's dynamic risk access to information. So from the Qantas Club, and I use their Wi-Fi, I get to see less information than I would if I walked into the building and connected to a secure. So we change the information access depending upon who you are, where you are, and what how you're accessing it. And that can be done across the entire ecosystem. And that product, Nuclear Cyber, is built specifically to integrate with the entire Microsoft business application suite. So your teams, which you know people use, I think it's grown from 65 million users at the start of the pandemic to 160 million daily users today. Office 365 and what business doesn't use these products, SharePoint, Exchange, Dropbox. So we're talking big names, which we can apply sensitive security controls across, which is being driven by compliance. How we sell that? We have a direct sales team, which looks at government and big tier multinationals such as SAP, Northrop Grumman, which are clients. Um, and we're also looking at that for uh, EOS is another one. But we also then have partners selling into enterprise. And then we have the channel business, which is that really that Microsoft channel. So we are Microsoft co-sell aligned, which means Microsoft salespeople actually get quota relief for selling us um, and incentivized to that. And we've got 80,000 resellers in that Microsoft channel. We're obviously very select about who we empower to, uh, to resell us through that channel. But that opens up that entire market of businesses that have invested in Microsoft, but actually need additional levels of security for their sensitive information or for to meet compliance requirements. Interesting. I like it. I know now in the Qantas lounge that I'm a bit more protected in there. <laughs> you never know who else is looking in. And what we do know is there's a lot of people looking in. I think the, the damages bill just from cybersecurity this year alone is $1.3 trillion. It's oh. that those damages are expected to grow to $6.3 trillion by the year 2024 which is going to probably be the, the la third largest GDP globally equivalent mm -hmm. to. So mm -hmm. it is a massive problem. And we're in, in there at the right time, at the right place, I think. I'm curious about the geographic footprint. You mentioned some of the origins of the problem being in the US, but I'm sure as you mentioned with that growth number that you gave then, it's a global problem. Where does your footprint exist today? We're a Canberra-based Australian sovereign company. But with the acquisition of nuclear cyber in the US, that's given us a global presence. From December, we've grown from a 1.5 FTEs in the marketplace to now over 11 FTEs globally. We have people in London, Singapore, Washington, and Canberra. So we are taking what we, our success that we have broken through, and really it's been a breakthrough year for us uh, 
in terms of growth. And now we're expanding that playbook internationally. And the reason we're doing that is because the geopolitical circumstances feeding into that uh, demand. So um, there's two primarily. The one is the threat from cybersecurity, including China and Russia and organized crime and state-based actors. And that rate is continuing to grow. I think we've we've seen Andy Penn from Telstra talk about that from the cybersecurity strategy recently in the, in, at the National Press Club. And they're expecting waves and waves of these attacks to grow. We've seen it through Toll, ANU, Parliament House, Channel 9, Colonial Oil in the US. This is not going away. And the second reason that that's being driven is because not just that political situation, but that's increasing expenditure, not just for that corporate risk, but compliance. So we're seeing legislation coming in, holding directors of public companies accountable for the level of cybersecurity and risk management that they apply to their companies. And that's that's also driving that expenditure. And most importantly, defence and intelligence industries globally is at the highest level of expenditure that it's ever been. So I imagine all this spend, their large contracts, annual basis, how do you find these channels and, and effectively go to market to sell the product? I'll just correct you there. It's not just large, chunky deals that we're doing with big profile clients. I think the engine room of our business is actually going to be small clients. So I think we've got a three-tier model for commercialization. Yes, we're going to concentrate on those big, chunky deals with government agencies, but they still need to grow. And all of our growth is based upon network growth effect because we're a collaboration. The more people that collaborate, the more licenses you need, the more we grow. And it's good to get those top-tier companies because they dictate to the rest of the supply chain what you're going to use to collaborate with them, which is what our strategy has been. But also there's thousands and thousands of small medium enterprises, which cybersecurity is not their core business, but they still need to be compliant and still need to operate. So law firms, financial accountants, national critical infrastructure, energy companies, medical research, pharmaceutical companies, the health industry is obviously important, which needs this type of features as well. So we see the engine room of our growth being small, fast transactions, building a ground-based of diversified, low churn, highly critical would be required, uh, because sticky because it's sensitive information which you're investing in protecting. And then the gravy on top of all of that and the cream is that enterprise and then those government sales. So government sales take a little bit longer. They're usually 18 months to two years. Enterprise sales still are long. That's still one process. But then you've got that channel sales, which can churn, which is really a, you know, a two to three month transaction. So we are spreading our ability to feed that machine across those three tiers. Yeah. And thinking about the industry more broadly, thinking about how do you get from there, I think you mentioned 1.3 to potentially 6, what are some of those drivers that are driving that? That loss is those losses, that $1.3 trillion loss to the economy, global economy to six, is really being driven by the fact that with the breakdown of international rule of law and order, with the jockeying of these geopolitical balance of power, is that they now have a failure to be able to go out and address that organized crime. So we're seeing state-based organizations take organized crime and allow them and in fact enable them to do cyber crimes such as ransomware. And because there's little repercussion if you don't have an international rule of law working together to close those type of organizational crime, it's a low cost crime, but it's a bit highly profitable. And there's low impact because if you're not being pursued by law enforcement agencies, there's low risk of getting caught. That is why it's so significant and why it's being so effective. And it's cheap. It is so cheap for these guys. They don't have rules about investment, about how much I can pour into new technologies. Every other organization has a budget about what it's going to spend 
spend on cybersecurity. Organised crime has no budget about what it will invest in to make money, and nor do these state actors. That's very good, Daniel, isn't it? Um, I'm also wondering, the pandemic, you mentioned, you know, more businesses being online, and that potentially means being exposed to more risk. How is the pandemic both for the business? Look, for us, there's been this mass migration to remote workers mm. and work from home. And that means that the data is no longer locked in the enterprise. And that means that it's moving in and out of the enterprise, which means the enterprise doesn't actually know where their sensitive information is being held. Is it being held on someone's laptop at home? Are they using it to store in their OneDrive or in their Google Cloud? Where is all my sensitive information gone and how am I controlling it? And if there's this increase in activity for cyber threats to take and manipulate that and ransomware out there, how well protected are they? So what are we going to do about this new way of working? And it's we are not, the world has changed forever because of this. The second thing that has happened with that pandemic is that people have then invested and brought forward digital transformation to enable this workforce to actually be able to do that. But they've left behind, how do we, if we do that this quickly, what was the security implications and what security controls have we put? So for us, it's been a bit of a boom. I've got to be honest. Now, I've just talked to you about the perfect storm for our business model. And that's really what we are in at this point in time. So for us, we, you know, I think we, revenue has gone from 500,000 last year and we're about to announce annual that it's been significant growth. Uh, we're about to announce our 4C report as well. And I think that people, there will be good mojo on that as well. So we, we're looking that we've done some significant growth. I think we reported in our last 4C growth of 700% in revenue. So it is certainly affected us in an extremely positive way. We have geopolitical sensitivities. We have cybercrime increasing. We have a diversified workforce. And what we do is the new security model of data-centric security. We encapsulate that data and protect it wherever it goes. And that's what we're offering our clients. So we're offering them a solution to an immediate problem. Fantastic. I'm curious about the competitive landscape. You mentioned about the proprietary nature as to what, you know, you've built since the origins of the business. Can you talk a bit more about who are your competitors, where are they, and then how you differentiate the business? Well, as I mentioned, we started back in 2006. So we've been doing this a long time and we've seen some competitors come and go. But what we are seeing really now in the marketplace is there's, and Joe Biden mentioned this is an executive order back in May about zero trust. So zero trust is the ability to not trust anything, right? If I'm letting somebody in, I need to know who they are. I need to positively identify them. If they want access to this information, I need to know that they've got a need to know to access that information and the right permission. So that's really what policy enforcement does. You cannot do zero trust without policy enforcement. So we're seeing that genuine uptake on these new security models because of the threat. And, and what we are seeing with that, new competitors come in, but we are we still have a first mover advantage of that. So up until now, our number one competitor has been the ICT department of our clients who wish to build these things for millions and millions of dollars themselves rather than adopt us as a platform. And I'll give you a good example of that. Recently, the Adelaide University, which is the largest provider of defence research uh, to the Australian uh, Defence Science and Technology Organisation, went to market to build a protected on clay for them to run their defence research on because of the recent attack at the ANU. So this is a real life example out there. They spent 
two years trying to get that tender up, went to market and realized they couldn't actually afford to build it themselves and bought Cogency as a, as a service, which is what we offer for very economical cost to them and solve that problem instantly. So there is a market out there. Right now, all of our deals have been sole sourced because we don't have a direct competitor in the market, but what we, we will see that coming. So I think for NC Protect, there's a companies like Next Labs are probably a good example of a competitor for Cogency, probably more along the lines of Myriad. But again, there's a lack of understanding in the market. We partner with Talus on a number of programs of work. So, so it sounds like we have competitors when you say, what problems do you solve? But when yeah. you get under the covers, we're actually quite complementary to a lot of these players. It's not really a direct competition point in the market yet, but eventually it will become so. In the UK, it's probably more a bit of huddle with Cogency rather than anything that we've got with, with NC Protect. And certainly Microsoft would not be co-selling us and supporting us the way that they have if we had a direct competitor for the Microsoft stack. I guess I'm curious about that. And you mentioned the network effect and sometimes you can see the network effect of those first movers as helping to build a bit of a competitive role going forward. Do you think there's anything for Arctis around that? Yeah, look, I guess our game is to stay ahead of it. So I think one of the advantage, clear advantages we have as a leader in the marketplace and establishing this market, and um, you know, we're dealing with um, defence organisations such as the US, NATO, and the Australian, New Zealand, and even we've been, been you know, have started talks with Canada as well. I think one of the things that we lead on is our differentiator, as I said at the beginning of this, is architected trusted information sharing. Yes, we have solutions to those problems and products which we sell and platforms which we sell into that. And understanding how that we solve that business need by being entrenched in defence and intelligence agencies for so long and now chain and building that out to the commercial use cases that we have gives us the distinct advantage. We're not just a pure play tech company. We are there to solve the business problem. And as long as we stay with that, I think we can stay ahead of the pack and stay that market leader and drive those business outcomes. I think when you just sell a piece of tech to somebody, it can sit there and they don't understand how to use it or what the benefit is. And we've seen that in the cybersecurity market for a long time. Flunk systems which aren't tuned or turned off because they make too much noise about events because we haven't done that. Firewalls which aren't properly configured. People like to say they've got the product to fix the problem, but then don't maintain and manage it to fix the problem, which is why we're having so many cyber breaches. What we're offering business is a holistic solution, which as a man, as a service, which they don't have to worry about. When we offer them NC Protect, we implement it with them. We help them with the set the policy agenda for that so that there's something that is effective because we're there to solve the business problem, not yeah. just sell the tech. You say that I always get that Norton antivirus pop up here and there and I just keep pressing the cross because I think I don't have time. <laughs> Guilty. And, you know, security is never, is always at its most valuable for some reason after we've had a breach. <laughs> it is an interesting... Uh... You know, I can tell you now there's no one at Channel 9 who doesn't know the value of cybersecurity right now. Exactly, yes. Same as Hong Kong, it's always a premium. Yeah, yep, absolutely. That's <laughs> likely it already hit the odds. Um, I'm curious now to move on to about the economics of the business. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the annual customers. I'm curious about what you see around churn. Well, look, we're seeing extremely low churn. I'd 
proud to just, you know, mention that we've uh, got another renewal in. So we, because we commercialized the pro- platform in 2019, we built a significant pipeline up, had early adopters. I'm, I'm pleased to say that those are, that those all, all those early adopters are still clients and we've seen growth in the number of licenses through there. And I think, we're, and we're certainly seeing that with nuclear cyber. Nuclear cyber is an extremely low churn rate. In fact, we've been able to continuously grow the number of licenses and, and a good example of that is in the Australian uh, security organisations that we've been dealing with. We've seen a number of deals over recent months which have grown that significantly. I think there's been about $1.2 million in transactions of growth in multi-year deals in just in the last couple of months. So I'm very happy with that we have a low churn model. And again, the reason we have a low churn model is the certifications that we have. Cybersecurity is a bit of an enigma to invest in. One thing that it's really... Um, is a clear indicator that you have a product that works is that you have a TS certification stamped on your product, which is what we do. We, when we dealt with the defense, we, we had to be certified up to top secret for them to exchange information. So when we say trusted to secure the world's most information, we're not lying. We do that. So that's a clear indicator that we have something of value in the marketplace. And I guess to answer your question is that means that organize, commercial organizations dealing with defense or government that are trusted to put their classified information in there, and we have government accreditations on these things as another stamp of confidence, they put that information on and they don't want to have to worry about moving it. So it's extremely sticky is the point that I'm trying to make. That's a long way of saying when you trust something to put it in, you don't change your safe very often. It's not broken, don't fix it. No. And then if you talk about, uh, you mentioned there's a few, what I would call modules or product offerings. Is the way to think about that as you're one existing customer buys multiple things or do they really only buy the one product and keep renewing that? How through, I guess, a lifetime not, not from what we're seeing. That's an excellent question. As we adopt these platforms, we find new ways of using it. We find other frustrations about how we use that and we'd like to use it a little bit differently. And it's all about convenience. Let's be honest. We're all too busy. And as you said, I press cancel on that every time that antivirus thing <laughs> pops up because it's inconvenient. Yes. What we've done with this security model and policy enforcement is made security invisible to the end user so they can just get on and do whatever they need to do. The difference is if I'm not allowed to see the doc document and I go into a file share or a SharePoint site, I don't even know it exists. So I just continue on. If you are entitled to see it, you will see it. And that's what I meant by that contextualized risk dynamic access that we do. So it's invisible to you what you can and can't do. You just get on and do what you need to do. And we can apply that to, as I said, Teams, to Office, to to all of those sorts of tool sets that everybody else is using on a daily basis. So from there, that's the first point I'd make. We have a product there which does that for your Microsoft investment. We have a platform which also does that. Now, the Cogency platform, and this is what we went through when we developed the top secret system, we needed to apply that policy enforcement to more than one application. We needed to apply it to multiple applications. So effectively, it can consume third-party applications and wrap that security module around it, which means we can introduce new functionality as it's demanded by our clients into that architecture. So let's say they want to now use a Confluence or Jira or to do something, or they want to use CAD drawings and work securely on CAD drawings, or that we can then extend that, that policy enforcement through Cogency onto those applications to secure their use. So that's always been flexibility of our model. And so thinking about the next, say, 12 months, three years, and the strategies for growth, it seems as though you've just 
you know, not so long ago bought nuclear and moved offshore, but then, you know, there's more products. Where do you spend the bang for buck time and how should we think about this business evolving? I think what you should think about it is a global high growth company. We're extremely aggressive. Our mission is to take Australian sovereign capability and drive that market overseas. We're seeing the same scenarios overseas as we're seeing here in Australia. Australia has been a great incubator for us, but really what our challenge is, is to grow a global business. We have two mature products that have been in the market highly tested, stress tested, in high demand. So all the investment that we are now focused on is in sales and growth. And we expect to double the size of the company probably in the next 12 months. And, you know, we are on target for triple figure growth figures over the next two years. And that's what our ambition is. Now, whether we achieve that or not, who knows? But what we are, we do know is we're in that extremely hard work stage where we have the right thematics, we have the right demand, we have the right products. Now it's really about putting all the effort into the execution of that. And that's what we're highly focused on. So that's how people should think about the company. If they're looking for an early in, this is the time to get in because we are very excited about our future. Now, the other aspect of that, of course, is that we're not gonna just be looking at um, organic growth for to feed ourselves. We've had a highly successful merger and acquisition with Nuclear Cyber. We were very, uh, we're not out there land grabbing every cybersecurity company that we can find. We're very strategic about it. And as I said, because we're a product company, the information sharing space, the type of opportunities we'll look for. And it's very critical for us that there's a strong cultural fit, strong technology fit, and a creative revenue base for that to grow the company. And so we'll be very circumspect about what we pick up. We are looking and do have a strong M&A strategy for the growth of the company as well. And you can't be idle if you wish to be a global cybersecurity company in this market today. It certainly is a highly competitive market, but I think we've got the differentiators to make a standout success. Right. I think it's worthwhile just highlighting as well to anybody that is listening in that this is a listed stock, ticker AR9. Uh, so mostly we do have those high growth companies that are startups unlisted, but we are um, seeing high growth in your space as well. So I just wanted to highlight that. So conscious of your time, Daniel from Arctis, I really appreciate your insight. We've only scratched the surface as we do on these introduction calls, but if anybody on the line does have any other questions or wants to reach out to myself, Elise Kennedy or Daniel I, please do reach out. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you very much, Elise, and thank you for your listeners and their time.